HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Brooklyn Slate Company, a manufacturer of slate cheese boards, coasters, and other fine items. For more information, visit brooklynslate.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, uh, a warm welcome to Colin Spolman, uh, distiller at Kings County Distillery here in New York City. Lovely, lovely New York City. Um, you know, it's it's been cool. This is like the time of year that I really like as far as uh, the spirits and, and cocktail industry go because there are some really great books coming out. And you guys just came out with your awesome new book. It's the Kings County Distillery Guide to Urban Moonshining. Or how to make and drink whiskey. Indeed. So, so, well, first of all, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so, first of all, I mean, like, I in the past, uh, I believe it was uh, it was back, last January. I had uh, Nicole Austin on. Sure, uh, lovely person. She's an awesome, uh, buddy of mine, and uh, very entertaining radio guest, as it were. <laughs> right. Good. Um, and she had kind of like mentioned that you guys that was like right when you were kind of like starting to work on the book. It was right, like, right, just yeah. kind of. Basically, just earlier this year. Yeah. And so that's a quick turnaround. So it did come together very quickly, uh, which sort of shocks me. But, um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, we give tours at the distillery, and I'm constantly uh, interacting with people about whiskey and, and was aware that there were a lot of uh, misconceptions and myths and just... Uh, this just, is all coming from, like, the, the end of tour Q&A kind of Right, thing. right. And people really don't don't know some of the basics about whiskey, and that seems like such a great opportunity because a lot of people do drink whiskey, and uh, particularly American whiskey, uh, craft whiskeys, really becoming a lot more popular, um, you know, relative to kind of vodka, which I think generally people are becoming sort of less interested in that, uh, at least in sort of the culture that we live in. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was it was for me a way to um, you know articulate some of the some of the basic truths about what whiskey is. Um, and then also, you know, we got started uh, distilling because I was distilling in my apartment and that kind of grew over time <laughs> into a business. And uh, there are a lot of people who kind of knew that story and would approach me for advice on how to 
<laughs> you to make, make their own <laughs> illegal moonshine. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to dispense with advice, but it seemed at a certain point that maybe putting it into a book would be kind of a cool opportunity to, to reach those people. Yeah. So so coming from that, I mean, uh, you're basically, uh, no pun intended, but distilling down this information right. <laughs> into, into uh, a readable oh, format. Oh, yeah. I've been waiting all day to use that one. Um, but so you were explaining to me... Um, uh, the the format of the book. First of all, let, let's go back a little bit more. I mean, like, uh, I, I'm always amazed by my friends who come out with books recently. Uh, they have been coming out with books um, just because of how busy we all are. Uh-huh. And to find that extra time to actually put a book together, it seems like the most daunting task. To right. Do. <laughs> uh, it so, was it was it was not. I mean, I, I really like to to write. I mean, I'd written a lot of. Uh, <laughs> unpublished fiction <laughs> <laughs> that's the next show we do <laughs> right before working on this book and so i knew i had kind of the capacity to 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 to, to tell a story you know i mean and, and i think that um to some extent the book is as much uh, a personal narrative it's a it's a cultural commentary it's history i mean there's a very uh detailed uh chapter on sort of the urban history of whiskey uh which is mostly forgotten um so to be able to tell those stories, and, and to some extent they're stories that I, I tell a lot because they're part of our business and part of uh, everybody's business who's in, who's in certainly the whiskey business. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, um, it was a way to kind of get deeper into some of the stories. I mean, I did some original research when it came to, to looking into the Moonshine Wars of Brooklyn, which happened in the 1860s, and, and kind of the early history of distilling in New York City. Um, so it was a way to make my job, in a way, I mean, to, to further what I was already doing at the distillery, which is um, telling stories and uh, also, you know, uh, articulating why we make decisions that we make as we're distilling. I mean, part of, I think, the the integrity of our brand has a lot to do with the fact that I was doing it at a much smaller scale and, and in a way that didn't necessarily relate to what commercial distilleries are doing. Yeah. Did you, were you working uh, at any other distilleries before? Was this something you just started out as a hobby, like at home doing? Like, what got you into whiskey in the first place, or, or the, even the idea of moonshining? Right. Uh, well, Not I, to give too much content from the book away. Right, no, no, we can give all the content of the book away. <laughs> okay. yeah, but, uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in eastern Kentucky and, and grew up in a dry county, and so uh, <laughs> maybe that answers the question right there. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean. <laughs> totally. But when I was uh, in high school, we would go to a bootlegger, and the bootlegger was uh, not necessarily somebody who was making moonshine, although um, you could get moonshine, but he would go and, and just buy commercial alcohol and resell it to high school kids. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> that was his business. Um, but I, I had this very different relationship with, uh, with alcohol all the way through my youth, and then coming to New York City where there's a bar in every corner and cocktail culture and... Uh, and there's a much less of a moral um, attitude around alcohol, and as as had I grown up with, uh, and so I was just interested in that culturally. And like a lot of people, when they move to Brooklyn, there's a sort of a, a part of your culture that you lose, and you wanna you're surrounded in this city with all these different kinds of cultures. And so, as a way to sort of rediscover that Appalachian culture, I started uh, making moonshine in my apartment, awesome. and uh, and with no real thought to to turning it turning into a craft distillery. I mean, I, I didn't set out to start a craft distillery. Right. I really just set out to make uh, alcohol, you know, distilled distilled moonshine, distilled spirits, yes. specifically uh, what moonshine has been historically, which is corn whiskey. It's not always made with corn, and it's not always right. Not always that moonshine could be classified as whiskey, but that's kind of how 
that thing sort of led that direction when sure. I got started. Was this uh, was this hobby uh, mostly like w- was the product of this hobby mostly personal? Or were you uh, giving it to friends and, and neighbors? Your landlord in exchange for rent, like, right? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely g- given pretty freely, and then it started to be sold. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true as a, as a way to pay for, you know, the the yeah. I bought the still and, and all these grains, and and you know, there was a there was a fair amount of equipment that investment that went into even a you know a hobby operation. Yeah, um, so you're using like a stovetop still, right? For sure. Yeah, it was an eight gallon stainless steel still. Um, that uh, actually, my roommate had gotten off the internet, and so uh, we were we were playing around with it just sort of for fun. And then, as time went on, you know, uh, there became more of a, of a uh, a problem solving aspect to it to kind of actually get something that that tasted good. And that yeah. that took a while. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't immediate. Although it was immediate, actually, I would say that uh, I was aware that you could distill something that was interesting and, and distinctive. And you could quickly sort of figure out what the variables were. And then as time went on, there were some kind of big breakthroughs, um, one of which came when we decided to actually pot distill. And so there's two types of distillation. One is uh, column distillation, which yields a more neutral, um, cleaner spirit, shall we say. And then there's pot distillation, which historically is how whiskey's made. Uh, and that gives you a more bold, robust flavor. Um, but if well done, can also give you a very smooth spirit. Um, and it was really that jump to that more labor-intensive, more time-consuming pot distillation that really, to some extent, gave us a spirit that then we could actually, even when it came time to, launch a business. Yeah. Um, I feel like pot distillation, I mean, you really have to kind of like nail your mash bill, you know? It's, it, uh, column, dis, uh, column distillation is it's a lot more forgiving. It's very know? forgiving. And, and uh, in, in a lot of cases, it doesn't really even matter what the base you know, mash right. well, or, or, or whatever you want to call typically, it. Typically, uh, that's how vodka's made a column still, you know, it's like right. constantly like hitting the plates, dripping back down, redistilling. Right. You know. yeah, so. And even now, you know, when you look into it further, a lot of Kentucky bourbon is actually made on a column still. It's just calibrated to sort of mimic a pot still. Right. Um, whereas uh, in Scotland, for single malt scotch, the rule is that you have to be on a pot still. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, as we were building the distillery, my early days of kind of recognizing the value of the pot still led us in scaling the business to then go, you know, commission stills to be built in Scotland uh, that were pot stills as well, you know, so so that as we grew, we would continue to main this, maintain the flavor profile that we sort of discovered through this very teensy sort of tinkering type of, of operation. Right. And Nicole was saying uh, when she was here about a year ago that uh, you guys had just recently gotten uh, that commissioned pot still for the right. distillery, and she was super stoked about that. <laughs> right. I am uh, deeply embarrassed to say that it has still taken us to this day to be able to turn them on, and I <laughs> blame the Department of Buildings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. any number of, They're easy to blame, because <laughs> uh, we just have to blame them for Hassles that go along with running a business. It's very easy yeah. to make moonshine in your apartment. It's a little more difficult to, to scale that up. So, I mean, I, we're, you know, we're still sort of uh, figuring that out. But once these stills turn on, I think they're going to be... Nice. Pretty magnificent, and 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 although they're you know they're a tool. I mean, it's it's not the still that makes the whiskey; it's the distiller. So sure. So so going to the uh, the history of uh, New York City or urban distillation, even not necessarily mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, not exclusively just New York City, but you know other major cities. Like there right. was uh, quite a quite a rich uh, quite a rich history involved with that. 
In, indeed. Well, the first distillery in the United States was in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as anyone knows. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just, sure. you know, <laughs> based on what shreds of historical record are left. Uh, but we do know that the Dutch built uh, what was described as a distillery on Staten Island in 1640 um, and was probably making whiskey because uh, the word at the time was brandy, but to make brandy, they would have had to have had a lot of fruit, which uh, seems sort of unlikely. I don't for, think they were going upstate like apple picking. Frontier life, right. <laughs> um, so probably what they were doing is growing grain, which matures in a season, and distilling that into what we would call today whiskey. Um, and then uh, kind of... Uh, but Thomas Jefferson, when he was elected, he really there was sort of the whiskey rebellion that happened right after the country was founded. People were trying to figure out how they were going to raise revenue for the for the federal government, and so Washington proposed a whiskey tax that was deeply unsuccessful yeah. and actually not well received. <laughs> right, eventually led to the other lightly. party getting into office, which was Jefferson. And Jefferson was a Virginian; he was an agrarian, and he really promoted uh, distillation in what would eventually become Kentucky, so western part of Virginia. Um, a lot of people uh, moved there in the early part of the 1800s. But what a lot of people don't realize is contemporaneous to that immigration to the middle of the country, there was also immigration from Ireland into New York City. And a lot of those immigrants uh, were, there was no excise tax in the United States. So if you were a whiskey maker in Ireland, uh, you could stand to make a much greater profit if you moved to the United States. And so I don't have too much you know, documented evidence of this, but... Um, in 1860, there were a group of distilleries in Vinegar Hill that were making five million gallons of whiskey. And wow. that was a heavily Irish neighborhood. And, uh, uh, you know, most of them probably immigrants, you know, more or less off the boat within the last two decades. Um, so you have this enormous and people didn't drink beer and wine back then. I mean, people there was no refrigeration. So people really did gravitate to whiskey and uh, and something called pochine, which is sort of an Irish moonshine. I think that that's basically Irish for moonshine. <laughs> and uh, and so you you had a lot of this uh, kind of clean, <laughs> possibly very high-proof spirit that was really contributing to uh, uh, kind of that Gangs of New York era of New York City's history yeah. where there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of clannishness, ethnic tension. Good old days. Yeah, right. <laughs> like New York City as it... I think the, 18, the decade of the 1860s was squarely the worst decade to be in sure. New York City. I think it's been pretty much uphill ever since then, no matter what people say about Michael Bloomberg. But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so and then following the Civil War, there was, or during the Civil War, there was a tax levied on spirits, which led to a lot of conflict because as these Irish distillers had moved into New York to avoid tax, right. uh, or to, to the United States to avoid tax, suddenly they have to now pay tax. And so there was a lot of illegal moonshining that went on for the next 30, 40 years that really to some extent, gave the temperance movement a lot of credibility. A lot of people think that prohibition came about because people were drinking too much, but it's also because uh, distillers and the people who were making alcohol kind of gave it a bad name. Uh, and so, uh, and so, as we all know, prohibition kind of killed distilling in New York City, and it's only been revitalized in the last 10 years. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, like, just, you know... We talk a lot of shit on prohibition, and <laughs> rightly so. And, uh, right. and but it it has given us a lot of really rich history because of that. You know, I mean, it's kind of like when you uh, you know you work really hard and then you go on vacation. And you're like, ah, this is great, or like you party real hard and then you go and then you work really. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah, you know, yeah. you always it's always uh, the grass is always greener. You know, and right. to have it uh, to go through a dark period with like the spirits in like cocktail industry, the breweries, and 
it's it's kind of awesome that we went through that because we can see now how and how we great yeah, we express is. it in the culture of how we go out to drink. I mean, yeah. there there is uh, there's a romanticism of that era, and you know, ironically, I mean, I'm from Kentucky, where a lot of prohibition is still in effect. A lot of a lot of dry counties and a lot of um, you know needless difficulties surrounding alcohol. But that's actually what makes alcohol kind of yeah. <laughs> you know kind of fun and kind of. <laughs> Uh, you know, distinguishes it, I suppose, from you know coffee, which is is, a, a, is a different you know it's a <laughs> drug, but it's it's not a politicized drug. So um, uh, it's uh, depends to, on where you are, I <laughs> right? I guess, for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, let's let's take a quick break, and when yep. we get back, we'll continue talking with Collins Bowman from Kings County Distillery. Back in a few. You are listening to Alpha Hollywood by the Raw Chance here on Heritage Radio Network. Brooklyn Slate Company is a collaborative effort from Brooklyn graphic designer Sean Tice and Parsons graduate student Christy Hedeka. After visiting Christy's family slate quarry in upstate New York in the spring of 2009, the two grabbed a few pieces for use as all purpose boards back home in Brooklyn. They found a number of purposes for the slate and began gifting pieces to friends. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that the two struck out to produce a line of slate products. They now make regular trips to the family quarry in upstate New York to handpick their favorite pieces of black and red slate. Some of the slate is sourced from the quarry graveyard, a collection of odd-shaped pieces that were ultimately destined to be ground for use as road cover or baseball diamonds. They then transport the pieces to their studio in Red Hook, Brooklyn, where they do additional cutting and clean the stone to be food slate. Every single piece of packaging that comes with their products, from the envelope to the burlap bag, can be repurposed for other uses. The end result is a product completely unique in cut, shape, color, and overall presentation. For more information and to order, visit brooklynslate.com. Now through December, enjoy 10% off your purchase at brooklynslate.com with discount code HERITAGE. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy. We have Colin Spoman from Kings County Distillery here in wonderful New York City. Um, we've been talking about the new book that's out now. Uh, it's Kings County Distillery Guide to Urban Moonshiny, How to Make and Drink Whiskey. On It's out on Abr- uh, from Abrams Books. Um, mm-hmm. Out now. You can get it at your local bookstore. You can get it online. You can get it at the distillery, which I would highly Actually, recommend. I, I say it's sold out on Amazon. So, oh, really? So look around. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's been going really well. As it turns out, this is a book that I think people were were kind of waiting for. Yeah. Um, so that's that's very gratifying. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah, and I, but like I was saying, you know, it, it'd probably be best to get it at the distillery. You know, you should. You guys moved into we, an awesome. It's a beautiful facility. Yeah, so, and, and my, you know, people should definitely come visit because there's there's no greater way to learn about. Uh, distillation that to actually you know witness it firsthand and see Absolutely. how the machinery works and that and that type of thing uh but we do sell the book at the distillery too so you yeah. can come get a full total immersion experience uh and then reread about it after yeah. you leave <laughs> you can do the uh, fact checking from the tour q a right, in the right. book yeah I mean, you, they have highlighters at the beginning of the tour so you can, you can do yeah. a little editing um so yeah, going back to uh, we were speaking about uh, before the break, we were talking about the, some of the history of uh, distillation in New York City. Tell us, you know, it's it's crazy what's happened in the last ten years uh, with 
distilleries, I mean, breweries started kicking, uh, wineries and breweries started kicking it off, you know, 25 years ago or so, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. started really getting the craft movement back, you know, following, you know, craft food and like more of a culinary immersion, you know, and uh, so it's been in the last 10 years for spirits and cocktails to really start like kicking in, and it's really, it's really happened in a strong way, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, strong enough to where you can have a distillery in New York City in a book come out about it you know and you got started in 2010 so that's a that's a strong turnaround man right this is a yeah right well it's a very nascent uh but but growing sort of uh complement to what's happening in kentucky i mean so just to finish the history story is that after prohibition really all the industry concentrated in kentucky and so even though there are 150 different label bourbon labels in the liquor store, uh, well, if you go to a you know a big liquor store, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're made on about eight stills in in Kentucky, huge, massive commercial stills. And the irony of of whiskey marketing is that they all build themselves as these dinky little artisanal small batch brands. Right. And you know, Maker's Mark, God bless it, it sold a million cases last year and that you know to have it say handmade on the label i mean sure it you know it is handmade in a sense i guess in that there are people with hands who work in the factory <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know when it comes to and and i i don't even stress the point that that being a commercial distillery yields by necessity a a, a better or worse product i mean i think what's been exciting about the diversity of the craft distilleries is that there's a lot more creativity. The big distilleries tend to have three mash bills and they sort of parlay those mash bills into multiple different uh, products and labels that, that end up on liquor store shelves. Uh, but what craft distilleries can do is, is make, you know, 50 different actual legitimate distinguishable mash bills that then uh, can be aged differently into a lot of different products. And so what's been fun for us is experimenting just this week with wheat and uh uh rice whiskey that's really cool yeah and uh you know that's experimentation that the kentucky distillers can't do yeah it feels like we have a lot more like creative freedom you know Mm -hmm. like the the newer guard of distillers you know i just said we (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna i'm a volunteer now um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but uh you know by well, me, I, I, but I think people can have ownership over it. You know, I mean, I think that's that's what's exciting about being a distillery in a city like this is that um, suddenly it does feel like you are sprung from the community. You respond to customers. You understand absolutely. what they need. And a distillery in Kentucky it doesn't. You know, they have a marketing department that presumes to know what people need. Yeah. Plus, there's just I feel like there's just this cra- this kind of uh, crazy history you know with these distilleries that's very kind of buttoned up you know mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a lot of like you know your grandpa's sitting around he's been drinking Ezra Brooks for you know right. <laughs> 80 years or whatever and that will never change for him that right. will never that label will never change that you know yeah. um even like as far as you know you're saying like makers mark you know uh putting out uh, makers 46 that was like a huge deal right and there was i feel like there's some kind of like hardcore like old school like makers mark drinks even though it's been out since 1958 but people yeah. have lived with makers mark their entire life and that's their thing you know it's kind of uh, funny they're... you go to their website and you'll see people with their wedding cakes with like the red <laughs> icing dripping off the side you know but uh but it, that was a big deal you know yeah, yeah. So, people are appalled by it. i know right <laughs> But at least we we have the chance to uh, you know 
I, I said we again. Uh, but it, like this community, we yeah, have yeah, yeah, we yeah. have a chance to uh, play around, you know, and that's yeah. that's kind of the spirit, pun intended, yeah. of uh, of this new uh, guard of uh, distillers and brewers and winemakers and mixologists, and bar owners, right. you know. So part of the the last two chapters of the book is, or, or or the third chapter of the book is going through some of these craft distilleries that are doing interesting stuff. Not it's not a comprehensive survey, but it it's uh, it's distilleries that I've visited or distilleries that, that have products that I've tasted that I've really responded to um, because uh, in New York it's very easy because there's a lot of craft distilleries and you can go and sample all different things. But um, really, there's uh, nationally a lot of craft distilleries that are responding that are really responding to their local communities but actually have probably a national reach in terms of uh what's it what it is is it's exciting that they're doing um so that's kind of a fun chapter that uh well it follows the kentucky distillery chapter so i go through you know blanton's and uh, elijah craig and all the kind of old standbys but then get into some of the more avant-garde whiskeys if you will (laughs) um and then the last chapter of the book is is we were asked by the publisher to create cocktail recipes and as a distiller i rarely uh i can't i can't even think of the last time i actually made myself a cocktail it just i'm often just tasting you know spirit well that's your that's your mash bill that's your cocktail you know right right i mean I, the I, way I, you distill the aging process like that's yeah. that's your cocktail and and i've had like some some uh, Scotch producers on, and you know, some Italian spirits uh-huh, producers on, uh-huh. and they uh, they are kind of appalled by the fact that like this some like this their craft product from way mm-hmm. back in the day, you right, know, that right. they've done for you know uh, 150 200 years or, or even more at times mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that we mix other things with it. It's just appalling to them. Yeah, you know, I, and I, I'm on both sides of it. I, yeah, right. Well, I actually I, I think the way that we approached it in the book to sort of satisfy what um you know the publisher was interested in probably what people who read the book are interested in i mean not everybody wants to drink whiskey neat you know i understand that um was to identify some of well what we asked a lot of our distillers former distillers or uh people who have uh uh we've worked with as a distillery to come up with recipes but also to tell a story about how they came to that recipe and so there's a lot of personal narratives around all the, the cocktails. I mean, we have uh, Sinjin from Fort Defiance, uh, who's talking about the Manhattan, and uh, Evan from uh, Parish Hall talking about... Uh, and it's, it's not just cocktails. It's also other recipes that you can uh, do a- around whiskey. And so he was aging some of our... Uh, some maple syrup in one of our used whiskey barrels. Oh, right. And so he has that recipe. I just gave the recipe away, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's generally the recipe, and then he has pancake recipe. But it was a nice. way to, to kind of, um, you know, recognize that the process of making spirits is you, you extend that to, you know, somebody else, and they take it further, and whether they uh, make something to eat or something to drink with it uh, is, is a part of that you know what we were talking about before this kind of community that that gets built around uh, a product that's so versatile totally and you know what's really cool i i think one of the the greatest things about the not just exclusive to new york city even though let's face it, it's kind of kind of the best um as far as like <laughs> craft distilleries but even at the like the manhattan cocktail classic this past year, you know, the the top floor, it was all New York distilleries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and what was mm-hmm. cool about it is that as opposed to like the larger, more corporate brands, is that everyone gets along and everyone hangs out with mm-hmm, them, you mm-hmm, know, and mm-hmm. kind of like talk shop about it, you know. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. 
and there, there's a certain spirit, not to be putting again, <laughs> uh, but behind that, that like it, it's really, it's remarkable. You know, it's 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 a new era, and we're all, you know, everyone's you know trying to make it happen. You know, and right. definitely doing a really great job. It. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody feels uh, a little bit of that pioneering spirit where, uh, you know, I'm sure in the when people were <laughs> going into the Wild West, there was a sense of like, we're kind of going into the woods and we don't really know what we're going to come out with and unless we sort of band together. I mean, we're greater as a, a sum of all of our parts. And so what's great about New York City, in, in a way, actually, in, in the distilling scene in New York City, is that everybody's really squarely doing different things um, among all the distillers. I mean, I can't think of any of the distillers that I feel like are are really just, uh, first of all, I don't think anybody's in it for the, for the profit. You know, I don't think anybody sees like, uh, you know, I I think people are in it because they love spirits and they love what they mean to people, you know, as beyond that. So, uh, it's, it's cool. It's a fun time. And, um, you know, what I get really excited about is whiskey because that, even more than gin and vodka has really been the purview of Kentucky. And even when we started the business in 2010, there was a real, people were aghast that, you know, (laughs) that we were committing such heresy, which was to make uh, a product that we were going to call bourbon outside of Kentucky. And, and I still see that, although it's, it's much more muted. Um, And actually when you talk to distillers, there are still distillers that say that, bourbon you know it it you can't make a good bourbon unless it's aged for you know seven years and i think that gradually those those misperceptions i mean i think that's safe to call it a misperception uh that those things are gradually breaking down as people open their mind to craft spirits and the variety that's available all of a sudden that really wasn't available before awesome um great man it's been it's been a hell of a time having you on the show. We're Thanks at the end of it me. now. The book is out from Abrams Books. Uh, it is the Kings County Distillery Guide to Urban Moonshining: How to Make and Drink Whiskey. Next time we're gonna we're gonna talk more about drinking the whiskey. Fair enough. We we ta- we we've covered we should making actually it. drink the whiskey as we talk about. Uh, it. No, I know. Well, usually makes know, talking I can about whiskey more fun. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Colin, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, damn it. Come back anytime. Cool. That's it for the Speakeasy this week. Tune in next time for more boozy talking. All right, cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>